There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Readers recommend. With us in the studio today, Joan Wamai, International Sales Manager of Hachette Publishing for the MENA region and voracious reader. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Happy to be here. So it's lovely to have you here. You have about four books that you want to talk to us about. Yes. Most have been hits. There are a couple of maybe one miss mm-hmm. in there. Um, before we get into uh, a couple of the misses, let's talk about a couple of hits. So I think there's something old in there and something brand new. So let's start with something a little bit older. Um, the Broken Earth trilogy, I think, yes. is what you wanted to start with. Yes. So tell our listeners a little bit about this if they are not familiar with this, with the books and who the author is. Okay, so the Broken Earth trilogy is three books, obviously, because it's a trilogy, uh, by N.K. Jemison. Now, um, if you haven't heard of N.K. Jemison, um, her um, s- stardom basically now is because she has won the Hugo Prize three times in a row. Uh, nobody has ever won the Hugo Prize three years in a row. Three years in a row? Yes. So she is the first person to do that. She's also the, black, the first black female author to, to win the Hugo. So this was a huge accomplishment for her and um, for the community as well. The books are brilliant. Uh, I couldn't recommend them more uh, because they are um, wonderful uh, books on fantasy and science fiction. And she combines those two two genres in a way that I don't think anyone else has done before. Uh, That's my opinion, of course. Um, And she's uh, brilliant. Great books, great three books, yeah. One of the things that we were talking about a few minutes ago was this um, article with Joanne Harris. And we we talked about her focus on the fact that debut authors tend to get more love than um, writers who are already established. Yes. And she talked about sexism in the industry as well. But one Mm -hmm. of the things that she spoke about was genre fiction versus literary fiction. And the way that I think many places around the world categorize books mm-hmm. in terms of different genres and she's seen places particularly in Europe where you walk into a bookstore and it's not categorized mm-hmm. in terms of science fiction fantasy right. young adult etc etc yeah. I mean is this the I think a lot of people are sometimes afraid of the science fiction fantasy mm-hmm. genre they think okay I would I don't say so I don't like Star Trek or Star Wars I wouldn't like anything in that genre at all do you think that that kind of stops people from maybe picking up a trilogy like this? Would you recommend it to anybody or is there a specific group of people that you would recommend this to? Absolutely. The Broken Earth trilogy is uh, rooted very much in reality and in real life. And it's it's based in Earth or on Earth, just a different reality of Earth. So it would appeal to anybody who loves reading. Absolutely. It is not uh, for science fiction readers or for fantasy readers. Uh, the characters are very much human. She does uh, uh, play around with their uh, races and their um, identities, but they are very much human uh, race characters and they're very uh, rooted in, in Earth and on Earth. So I wouldn't say it is purely science fiction or purely fantasy. Uh, anybody can read this. I would recommend that if you're merchandising this actually in a store, that you would put it in um, literary fiction rather than genre-specific fiction. Yeah. Okay, so we know that it's good and that it's won three consecutive Hugo Awards. We've heard of kind of 
cli-fi or climate fiction mm -hmm. before and the broken earth trilogy kind of tells you that that's that's a major theme in the books and with climate change on everybody's brain at the moment what what is it that's so special about these books and what's the kind of main conceit or hook what's happening that everybody that that kind of incites the conflict and makes you want to carry on reading well uh i think she's uh focusing on how human beings are destroying the planet that we are making the decisions that um uh are destroying the planet uh in in the broken earth trilogy in fifth season human beings are directly responsible for the way the planet is going. And so she's trying to bring that into focus. Um, and I mean, I don't want to give too much of the story away, but uh, some of the characters have the ability to control um, climate, basically. That's how the fifth season is uh, sometimes triggered. It's triggered by uh, a human being, a human po uh, power, uh, a person who's got um, extraordinary powers. Um, and it's really sort of a look at how uh, we make decisions that are not particularly good for ourselves and for the environment. And so uh, she's trying to bring that into focus. I think that's um, a good part of the book. Um, it's also um, a book about inequality and how some of the humans are so badly treated that they um, push back against the system. And they do this by creating this sort of climatic, climactic um, events. Yeah. I just want to want to move on to some nonfiction okay. that everyone's been talking about. We can carry on when we come back as well. But Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. So this yeah. is this is the something new that you've been reading. Yes. Yeah. Um, Malcolm Gladwell doesn't really need much um, marketing or selling, but no. I think the concept behind this particular book is particularly interesting. So what is Talking to Strangers? Because that's usually something that I avoid. <laughs> <laughs> True, I understand that. I completely relate to that. Actually, it's an interesting book because it's not really telling you how to um, talk to strangers, um, as the as, as title says. He's talking about how our interactions with strangers are normally fraught with um, a lot of uh, misunderstanding. So, so a lot of the conversations that we have with people, we're already placing judgment on them. And we're already trying to glean from them a lot of information, which is impossible within like one or two conversations. And we often and, get it wrong. And we? we get it wrong. Um, I think in the book, pretty much 90% of the time we get it wrong. 90%? And, yes. And and mainly even interactions over a very long period of time. So he talks about how the CIA had um, spies within um, the Cuban uh, embassy and within Cuba, and how the whole time they had no idea that they were all double agents. And they only got to learn this when they interviewed one of the agents who defected. So, um, and this was uh, relationships that they had over years in Cuba, and they had no idea. So, and he goes on to talk about different interactions, interactions with uh, different political people, interactions between um, people in, in university, in campuses. He talks about, the story begins actually with um, an interaction between a police officer and a lady called Sar Sarah Sandra, Sandra Bland in the US and how it led to her arrest and her eventual um, death later on uh, and how that interaction could have gone a completely different way. 
So, and that's actually the story that inspired him, or at least kicked him off to start to write the book, um, even though he'd been thinking about writing the book. So you'd recommend this one to who? Anyone, anyone who's interested in the social sciences, for one. Uh, anyone who's interested in current affairs. Uh, anyone who's on social media. Well, speaking, <laughs> That's everyone. Speaking yeah. of social media, I think this is a, an interesting an interesting part of this book. So he's talking about how it's our interactions with people. We never really 100% know anybody. And you say in the book, like about 90% of the time, we're getting it wrong. We're, we're misinterpreting people, which I think is interesting because I've always thought that everybody talks about gut feeling all the time. Does he yeah. speak about this in the book? The fact that we always think that we have this gut feeling about people and that we're right. Yes, I think that's the problem mainly is that we always think we're right when we're interacting with people because we're getting certain cues from them and uh, the cues are telling us that we're getting it right and we're not. Not at all. Not at all, yeah. So, yeah, I find this very interesting because it all comes down to this notion of trust. Um, it's very, very hard in the world today to trust people. Mm. It's really hard. But if you don't trust anybody, Absolutely. If he talks about that. Yes, if you don't as well. take anybody on face value, then it's kind of almost impossible to exist in a way. So I find this really interesting. I mean, I think in any conversation, there's two levels of the conversation. There's what's being said and then there's the subtext underneath. Mm-hmm. And uh, working in the theatre, that's what we talk a lot about, like not what, what the character is saying, but what the character means underneath it. And I mean, I don't know, I'm probably, I'm probably one of the people in Gladwell talks about it and that I, I think that I'm right most of the time and who knows, maybe I'm wrong. But he does say that it's good to trust people. That's actually a positive human uh, behavior and that you should never change that. But just remember that um, you could be wrong about how you're perceiving people that you're talking to all the time. But trust is actually a good thing. So, because that was going to be my next question was, did it? Did you leave this book feeling super paranoid about everybody that you bumped into? I'm always paranoid anyway. <laughs> So this is old ground for you. This is nothing new for you at all. But going back very briefly to the impact of social media and our greater interconnectedness on all of this, this is what Malcolm Gladwell had to say about that. I think it makes some of these fundamental issues that we have with those we don't know much more consequential. I mean, I think that the trajectory that we are on as a world is that the number of encounters that we have with people who Um, we have limited knowledge, is multiplying. Um, That's why I sort of thought this was a pressing issue to write about. So there you go. It's kind of inspired him to write about this, this greater interconnectedness that we all have. So that's Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. I think because it's written by Malcolm Gladwell, a lot of people will go out and buy it, even if they're just remotely curious, because he's had so many hits in the past. Yes, and even if you haven't read it, or read him at all in the past, I would recommend that you start with this book. It's such a good dive in into the mind of Malcolm Gladwell. So moving now back to fiction, um, you've enjoyed both of the books that you've spoken about already on the show. Well, a trilogy by N.K. Jemison, the Broken Earth trilogy, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, and now Carrie Mora by Thomas Harris. So this is his first thriller in 13 years. He's obviously best known as the author of The Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. and creating the incredible villain terrifying villain Hannibal, Hannibal the cannibal yeah. Hannibal the cannibal um now before we get started about this I've always I've never read Silence of the Lambs but I am familiar with some famous passages 
Um, and I've always been struck by how beautifully written they are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote here from where um, Agent Starling first meets Hannibal Lecter when she meets him in his jail cell and she's observing him. And she says, these white bars ribbed the walls. Dr. Lecter had a sleek, dark head. He's a cemetery mink. He lives down in a rib cage in the leaves of a heart. Oh, beautiful. Wow. I mean, he's got... He's got skills. Yeah. <laughs> and this was, I think, many years ago now when he wrote Silence of the Lambs. But apparently, Carrie Mora, not rela- related to Hannibal Lecter, no. different storyline. Yeah. But it falls a bit flat in terms of writing as well. Yes. So um, I'm a big fan of Thomas Harris. I've read um, Red Dragon, The Silence of the mm. Lambs and Hannibal, which was the previous uh, books that he did, uh, other Hannibal books as well. Yeah. But those, I would say, are the canon. Uh, for the Hannibal Lecter, um, Hannibal Lecter series. Yeah. So I was really looking forward to this new book. Uh, and he's not written in 13 years. Uh, I was interested to, to see where it was going to go, what his motivation was. Was it going to be similar or very different? I was quite happy if it would, it would have been completely different from the previous books. But uh, just my opinion and the opinion of many readers as well is that this book was completely not what they were expecting and it wasn't the same style of writing that he's he's um, accustomed to or we're accustomed to from him it was very much there were some key elements of the books that were very much him mm-hmm. some of the descriptions of the the protagonist antagonist it's got a very good central character female protagonist but i think Generally, it, it didn't, it didn't, um, it wasn't his best work, in my opinion. It wasn't what we would have expected after thir- a 13 year um, hiatus from him. I was hoping to be blown away by this because we've waited so long for it. But I wasn't. And I don't want to give away too much of the story uh, to explain why. But I just feel like people did not get what they were looking for, especially because of the iconic character that he created in his previous books. That's what we were looking for, and we didn't really get that. Well, maybe you could say that he just, he unfortunately set the bar far too high, and that That, maybe mm. anything that he wrote that wasn't Hannibal Lecter was always going to be judged as not not a Hannibal book. Yes, yes. That is the problem with creating an iconic character and being forever connected with that character is that people always expect you people wanted a new Hannibal basically I think that is what people wanted and they didn't get that it's uh, it's sort of reading about the book uh, it sounds like he was inspired to try to write about refugees to try about the to write about the immigrant experience yes. mm. and then it's almost like that those are the most interesting parts of the book and he's trying to shoehorn in this sort of Hannibal story and it's interesting. I wonder why he made that choice. I mean, surely Thomas Harris is is big enough now to be able to go off in a different direction. So he could have explored a very different story and written in a very different style. But it's almost like he can't trust that, and he's got to go back to the his stock in trade of the sort of the terrible, you know, dark character. Which, of course, I mean, Hannibal Lecter is a one of a kind. You can't just replicate that character or pull it off again. It's very, very difficult. So it's it's almost like he's he's double thought or outthought himself or confused himself. Did you did you get that? Like it was two books fighting for for the space i mean i agree in part with that but i just think um yes a lot of it has to do with the pressure of coming up with a book and a character that is as big as his previous books and in publishing that's always uh, a struggle that writers Mm -hmm. have 
is to be better than your last book. Mm. And that can be very difficult, especially if you've been out of the limelight for a long time. So you want to come in, uh, you want to have something new and different, but you also want to appeal to all the previous readers that you had before. So yes, so there is an element where he's trying to create something new, but uh, trying to put in something of the old um, Thomas Harris in, in there, and that didn't quite work out. I don't think that um, he should, I think any author has uh, the ability to transcend or to go beyond his previous books. And I think it's a big risk, but I think it's a risk worth taking. And I think he's still a wonderful author. And in I, whatever subsequent books he writes, I think he's sort of going to get better, I, I think. I, I don't know. I still have hope. <laughs> Joan, The Nickel Boys by Colson. Whitehead. Now, this has been on my radar for months now. It keeps coming up. Obviously, mm-hmm. Colson Whitehead had huge success with the Underground mm-hmm. Railroad. Yeah. But interestingly, he'd also published so many other books before yes. he became successful with the, un- with the Underground Railroad. And everybody seemed to think that he kind of came out of nowhere. But he'd been publishing for years. Yes. So, yes. So, actually, the first book of his I read was Zone One, mm-hmm. which is a book about the zombie apocalypse. So, yes, <laughs> very left field of him. Yeah. Uh, so uh, The Nickel Boys is the new book that he's written, mm. which is based in part on a- actual events uh, that happened um, in the US in the 60s. And so this new one, it's a really, uh, it's very much in the vein of um, the Underground Railroad. It's a story of inequality. Mm-hmm. It's a story of race. And uh, it's quite a sad story. Very scary. Uh, it's, I mean, like we because were saying it actually before, happened. because it actually happened. It's a bit of a horror story. Um, and there are two central characters uh, and they're both very compelling. So very yes. briefly for our listeners, the actual story that happened, the, the Nickel Boys is it's basically about a an institute or a reform school that actually existed in America. And is notorious for all sorts of brutalities yeah. and abuse. And I think if you if you read the background research to the book, it wasn't until 2012 that they uncovered like this mass grave. grave yes. And yeah. they started taking the testimonies that have been coming out for years, yes. actually seriously and, and believing people. Yes. It sounds like a harrowing read. It is quite harrowing. It's got... Um, and he he's such a good storyteller that you you can get through the Nickel Boys in a pretty short period of time. There's an absolute brilliant twist, one of the best twists I've read of any book uh, in the last couple of years in the really? book. So um, if you're looking for a book with a good twist, this is it. So he combines mystery and um, uh, just compelling writing with the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a thriller as well. So, um, so many things that um, combine to make this book perfect. I'm glad the, you mentioned the thriller yes. element and, and the twist because I think, like we were saying before, in, in my head, because he's won such a, an amazing prize for the Underground Railroad and he's writing about something that is is such, um, it, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that you would associate with maybe literary fiction. Yeah. It's good to know that he's got all of these different influences in this book so that there is maybe something for for everybody. Yes, there is absolutely something for everybody. It's uh, I would recommend it to absolutely anyone. 
it is not uh, it's not a difficult read as well. It's um, it's a quick uh, read for anybody who's struggling with time. And I, it's Colson Whitehead, so you you're going to get everything, everything, everything um, amazing in writing. Good writing, book, good, good story. writing, difficult good story. subject matter, very but not difficult, difficult writing. Yes, subject matter. Uh, so so much of the book. Uh, you don't really want to say too much of the book because that gives away yeah. too much yeah. um, of the because it's not quite it's not a very long book mm. and once you you um, talk about his inspiration for the book which is about the institute where they found uh, a mass grave then that sort of gives you an idea of what the book is going to be about so he takes uh, two two boys from that and from two fictional characters and places them in a fictional institute that's very similar to what uh, was uncovered and then gives them their, their life story. Um, so, yeah. Sounds I th- fantastic. I think it's yeah. also talking about living up to expectation uh, with maybe Thomas Harris didn't do in, in his latest book. I think, you know, and following us on like the Underground Railroad is so difficult, yes. but it really does sound in just reading about this book, hearing about this book and listening to you talk about it, it sounds like the Nickel Boys has really lived up to that it and even taken it a step has. further. Yes. So, I mean, there's two camps uh, with in-house. There were two camps. So there were people who were like, this is so much better than the Underground Railroad. And then there was the other camp, uh, which I was in, which was like, this is on the same level at par uh, with the Underground Railroad. Uh, so if you read the Underground Railroad and enjoyed that, then you'll absolutely enjoy this. I don't see how that is not possible. This is also a really good book to get into um, if you want to read Colson Whitehead um, and start reading him and you haven't read the Underground Railroad, this is also a pretty good start um, for him. Yeah. Thank you so much. We're going to have to leave it there, but thank you so much, Joan Wamai, for recommending those books to us today. If you just tuned in, the book she was talking about just now was The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, author of, of course, The Underground Railroad. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at Dubaii1038.com.